but this is, I think, one of the biggest hires of Nick Saban's career. You think about what is coming. Where are they going to go? Hello, welcome. It's always college football with Greg McElroy. Thank you for being with us. We hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show, whether it's on the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out. Today is Monday. It's January 30th and we just watched two incredible NFC and AFC championship games yesterday. Hope you guys are as excited as I am about the possibility of the Super Bowl matchup coming up here in just a little bit. I'm going to be breaking that game down at some point, but today is not the day because we are always college football. But hey, football is still obviously front of mind with Championship Sunday just yesterday. But we got a lot that we want to get to. The coaching carousel is spinning. It's been spinning now for a while, but it's only going to continue to pick up as we start to move towards the offseason for the NFL because there's some coaches that are currently at a certain spot that might be going to the NFL and vice versa. So a lot of movement going on right now. So we're going to break down some coordinator changes that have happened over the last several weeks. There might be a few that you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Or maybe there's one where you sit there and say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that he was let go. It was buried in a Friday afternoon news dump. So we're going to update you the best we can with a couple moves that have happened in the last couple of weeks and a couple of things that definitely got our attention. One in particular in which a Broyles Award winner, the guy that won the Broyles Award, the best assistant coach in college football in the last couple of years, yeah, he got fired this past weekend. So we're going to update you on the situation at Miami. We're going to update you about what's going on at TCU. We're going to update you about what's going on in Alabama. We're going to update you about what's going on everywhere because... Why wouldn't we? <laughs> Let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about it. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, I just mentioned it. Josh Gaddis has officially been let go by the Miami Hurricanes. Now, this is kind of an interesting move. This was the, I mean, the biggest hire of the 2021 offseason, it felt like. Everyone talking, oh, Josh Gaddis, he's going to be going from Michigan down to Miami, and he's going to revitalize this offense. He's going to do all these amazing things. I mean, we spent months talking about Josh Gaddis. And what a big hire for Mario Cristobal. What a huge, huge coup to be able to go and get an established coach that's great recruiter, already obviously tons of bona fides with what he's accomplished at Michigan. He's already been in the Southeast in the past. Like, this is a slam dunk. Well, obviously, we know that the year 
for Miami wasn't that great. I mean, they finished 86th in total offense. They averaged about 367 yards a game. That's down from the 2021 season that saw Miami rank, gosh, in the top 20 in most offensive statistical categories. Remember, in 2021, this is a group that averaged nearly 450 yards of offense. Now, uh, I know that there were other things about that Miami team, but Rhett Lashley parlayed that into a head job at SMU. I mean, so this Miami team really took a step back in Mario Cristobal's first year, and as a result, Josh Gaddis is no longer the offensive coordinator. Now, it's kind of interesting, too, because we talked about Gaddis last year as if this guy is a no-doubt future head coach. No doubt, right? Like, this guy, without question, is going to be on the short list here in the next couple years of a potential head coach candidate. Well, obviously, I think that this is a little bit early to start rushing to judgment. Look, I know that Miami struggled. I know that Van Dyke really didn't resemble the guy he was coming into last year. I mean, everyone thought Van Dyke was just going to take the world by storm. It's going to be a first round pick, all these other things. And he didn't really have a great year. But man, you think about it. You've already lost your your quarterback coach, Frank Ponce. He's going to be going to Appalachian State to be the offensive coordinator. Now you have an offensive coordinator job open. Where will they go? It's going to be fascinating, I think, to figure out what does Mario Cristobal's offense want to be? Who do they want to look like? What do they want to do? Do they want tempo? Do they want to try to establish it at the line of scrimmage, which is how we kind of anticipated things going, but things to happen this late in the cycle, it is a little bit unique. Maybe they look to potentially going and maybe having a conversation with an NFL coordinator or something like that. But that was a significant move that kind of shook me up a little bit. I didn't forecast a change being made there in Miami. Another move that might happen as of right now, as we're taping this right now, Todd Munkin is still the coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs, the offensive coordinator. And what a job he did over the last couple of years, man. I mean, Todd Munkin has done a terrific job kind of revolutionizing this Georgia offense and the way that they were able to use different personnel groupings, the way that he was able to move and get creative with Brock Bowers, the way he was able to feature some of the running backs in the passing game as well. And then to see what Stetson Bennett became under his tutelage, tells you all you need to know. If you look at the fact that Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett, okay, who, by the way, I think is a very good player. You guys know that. But this is an offense that averaged 500 yards a game with his leadership, 41 points per game with his leadership. And when you think about Stetson Bennett throwing for over 4,100 yards and 27 touchdowns against just seven interceptions, that's because of Todd Munkin. And it's clear that the NFL has taken notice. I mean, the way he's able to use different formations, the way he's able to feature players, the way that he has been able to empower an offense that had traditionally been, hey, don't turn the ball over. Well, he's definitely brought Georgia into a new world. And he has NFL pedigree. This is a guy that has been with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been the coordinator with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's been with the Cleveland Browns. So he's been around the NFL in the past. And I really think he's probably going to have a difficult decision to make because I think NFL teams, they definitely want him. <laughs> now it's just, does he want to stick with Georgia? 
Or does he want to go to the NFL where the lifestyle and the quality of life is better than that of college? <laughs> college, you're recruiting all the time. It's a difficult gig for sure. So if you can call plays up there in the show, most people would take advantage of that. But it'll be interesting. He's had interviews with Tampa Bay. He's got an interview with Baltimore. We'll keep you updated with whether or not Todd Munkin decides to return to the, uh, to the NFL. Another interesting coordinator hire that was made by Oklahoma State. This one's fascinating, by the way. How many of you have heard of Brian Nardo? I hadn't. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard the guy's name before in my life. But upon further review, Brian Nardo is pretty interesting when it comes to the hire that was made for Oklahoma State. He was at Division II, Gannon University, and they actually had a ridiculously good defense, relatively speaking. Now, they're 24th nationally. They gave up 287 yards per game. I don't have access to Gannon University tape. I couldn't tell you what he's running. I can't tell you what coverages they run. I can't tell you what defensive front they run. I've read a few things, but I can't confirm it with my own eyes. So until I can, I'm going to resist making a judgment about whether this hire was great. What I will say, remember, Jim Knowles is at Ohio State now, but Jim Knowles was at Oklahoma State. And if you go back and look at Jim Knowles' history, whether it be in the Ivy Leagues or some lower levels of college football, Jim Knowles is kind of similar to Brian Nardo in that sense that he was a self-made dude and really wasn't given a whole lot other than just being a great defensive mind. So it appears like maybe Mike Gundy's going down this same rabbit hole and saying, hey, man, we kind of elevated Jim Knowles after he maybe didn't have the, you know, the storybook coaching tree, but we hired him. He did amazing things for us. And he parlayed that into a great defensive coordinator job with Ohio State. Maybe Mike Gundy's going this route again. Division two, go and get a guy that's self-made, that's great from an XO standpoint. Let's hope. Let's hope that it works out really well for the Pokes as they move forward. Other things that have gone on as far as the coaching world is concerned. Recently, Kirk Campbell was elevated to quarterback coach at Michigan. Remember, Matt Weiss was let go, had the incident that was going on with the computer. Who knows? I don't even know what it was, but I know that he was let go. Shrow Moore is obviously the offensive coordinator, but they just decided to promote from within. Kirk Campbell was an analyst. Now he's the quarterback coach for Michigan. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? Is it significant? Does it matter? Probably not. I get the sense, though, when you look at what Michigan's become, there's still going to be a team that focuses on running the football. There's still going to be a team that wants to heavy play action, passing attack, marries up with the run game. So I don't think that this is going to change a whole lot. As long as Jim Harbaugh's there, they're going to run a tough, physical brand of football. They've already done a great job in the portal going out and getting established offensive linemen. They already have a bunch of guys that have played already that are going to be returning and featured spots. I think Michigan doesn't take a step back whatsoever. They should be just fine coming in to 2023. Let's also talk a little bit about what's going on currently with Alabama. We probably, if you were with us at any point last week, we told you that Bill O'Brien 
was likely going to go. Well, really over the last couple of weeks, I don't think this was a great, you know, secret. I think everybody for the most part knew that if Bill O'Brien was presented an opportunity to get back to the NFL, he was likely going to take that. Now, I don't think Nick Saban wanted to necessarily make a move. I don't think he did. I think he liked both Pete Golding and Bill O'Brien. I think he loved having those guys on the staff. But I think if the opportunity presented itself for those two to go, I think that they were probably going to make the most of of that opportunity. Uh, Pete Golding going to Ole Miss, very interesting to me. Very, very interesting. Pete Golding, of course, cut from the Saban cloth. Very similar to Nick Saban as far as his personality is concerned. Wants to be so detail-oriented when it comes to the game plan and putting together a smart, cerebral, defensive plan. I think Pete Golding's a really good coach. Anyone that's that's heard me in the past, I think very highly of Pete Golding. I really do. And I think this was a great hire for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now, Bama fans rejoiced because they don't feel like the Bama defense has been up to the standard that Bama's had in the past. Fair enough. But Pete Golding is an excellent coach. What's interesting, though, when you look at what Ole Miss has been the last few years defensively, whether it you know they've had multiple different coordinators, they've kind of changed a little bit. But DJ Durkin, for instance, was there two years ago. He's now at Texas A&M. Well, DJ Durkin traditionally wants to be a four-down defensive line with good pass rushers on the edges and play nickel defense. That's what DJ Durkin has traditionally been at some of his previous stops. Well, at Ole Miss, he adopted the 3-3-5, where they basically played three safeties over the top, and they didn't want to allow big plays. Now, that makes you susceptible to the run game. It makes you susceptible to some of the underneath stuff in the passing game, but That's what Lane Kiffin wanted. Why? Because that's what worked against Lane Kiffin's offense. So Lane has kind of morphed and changed a little bit with what the identity of his defense is going to be. Now you bring in Pete Golding. And Pete Golding, while he does have variations of 3-3-5, he does have variations where they can basically just keep the ball in front of him. I call it glorified prevent in some ways, but not to the same extent. He does have that in his arsenal and they've used it against Mississippi State in the past, but that's not who he is. It's going to be really interesting to see, does Pete Golding bring the Alabama defense to Oxford, Mississippi, or does he adopt the principles of what Ole Miss has done defensively in the last handful of years. That's something to keep an eye on. As far as Alabama's offensive coordinator is concerned, Bill O'Brien obviously left, but this is, I think, one of the biggest hires of Nick Saban's career. Maybe not to the same extent as the 2014 Lane Kiffin, you know, bring the offense into the new era hire. That was the biggest. There's no denying that. But, You think about what is coming. Bama now, still, national championship aspirations every single year. That's not going to change for as long as Nick Saban's there. They're going to be in the mix to win a national championship. But where are they going to go? Are they Obviously, they're going to run the Alabama offense, right? But there's been buzz and rumors about Jeff Lebby being in the mix. There was rumors about maybe Garrett Riley. If he didn't take Clemson, would he have potentially been in the mix? in Tuscaloosa. Those were all rumors. I don't know whether they're true, if they're substantiated or not. It doesn't necessarily matter. What matters, though, is if 
Nick Saban hires Jeff Levy, for instance, then Jeff Levy's offense does not really resemble anything that Alabama's done traditionally. He's a tempo guy that wants to go hyperspeed. And there's some aspects of the Baylor system that Tennessee's running. Obviously, Oklahoma's running it. TCU ran variations of it. That Baylor system is everywhere, but that's not who Bama's been. So it'll be really interesting to see if Nick Saban decides to go in that direction and hire a guy that's rooted in tempo and rooted in stretching the field vertically. A lot of other moves that have also been made throughout college football. Garrett Riley, he's now come up three times. Him going to Clemson is massive. Massive. I cannot even put into words how significant that is. Why? Because Garrett Riley, one, Cade Klubnick is, I think, a very talented individual. Very, very talented. And now Garrett Riley, what did he just do with Max Duggan? I mean, he waved the magic wand and made him a star. Well, what's he going to do now with Cade Klubnick? And kind of like what we just talked about with Alabama. Clemson, traditionally, they'll do a lot offensively. But what they haven't been is Baylor, tempo, speed, vertical. Like, that's not who they've been. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much does Garrett Riley alter what they've been traditionally. And does he kind of conform to the Clemson offense that we've seen for the last five or six years? And... You listen to what Dabo Sweeney talked about really throughout the course of last offseason. He emphasized line of scrimmage. Hey, we need to be able to run the ball. Will Shipley's our best player. We need to be able to run the ball. We need to take the pressure off the quarterback. Well, they didn't do a great job of that last year. The offensive line was up and down. Garrett Riley now, his offense is going to make that offensive line a whole heck of a lot better. But will they continue to try to do what they wanted to do going into last season. That's going to be something that will be interesting to follow as well. Finally, tell you about a couple other coordinator moves that we haven't really had a chance to discuss. South Carolina will keep it in the state there with the Clemson Tigers. They go out and they get Dowell Logans. Now, a lot of people say, well, who's Dowell Logans, right? Dowell Logans is an excellent coach. He was at Arkansas previously, but has spent a decent amount of time in the NFL. It's going to be fascinating to see what style of offense they run there. Do they run more Arkansas Kendall Bryles or do they run you know the South Carolina offense that they ran the last couple of years? That's going to be something that will be worth monitoring as well. Kendall Bryles, just mentioned him. He has become the TCU offensive coordinator. Interesting move here, I might add. Kendall of course was very highly paid at Arkansas. Did a really nice job, I think, for most of his tenure there in Fayetteville. But now he's back in the state of Texas. And his system, the way that they've run it in the past, I think that it's massive for him to be in the state of Texas. His name moves the needle. Texas High School Football Coaches Association loves Kendall Bryles. They love him. And there's a lot of very affluent businessmen and women in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that really want to support the program that Kendall Bryles is associated with. A lot of very loyal Kendall Bryles supporters. It's going to be interesting to see 
is this the last time he makes a lateral move? Because I get the sense he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. I'm surprised he isn't one, at least as of this moment. So that's a little bit of our coordinator roundup. We still have a lot more that we want to get to, by the way, just for time purposes. We can't get to them all right now, but we will. I promise you, we have eight months, seven months, whatever it is. We're going to hit every single coordinator move that could possibly happen. All right. We're going to break them down. We're going to talk about them. We might even put some plays up on the board. All right. Maybe break those down a little bit if I'm allowed to. We'll, we'll see. They, sometimes coaches get a little bit upset about me, you know, doing coaches copy and Maybe maybe we'll try it. We'll see. Uh, but either way, a lot of coordinator conversation that need to happen. We're going to get to it. That's for sure. Macro, I got to stop. You can't do this whole coordinator conversation and not give me a little bit on Bobby Petrino. <laughs> I, for one, Texas A&M, of course, hiring Bobby Petrino. Is it a situation in which there might be too many cooks in the kitchen? Possibly. Possibly. And a lot of people are going to make a big deal. And, you know, we know the low hanging fruit, Bobby Petrino, and people are going to post pictures of him after the motorcycle accident, all that stuff. Like, I understand that. Okay. Like people are going to jab at him because of some of the things that have happened in his past, but you cannot deny what this guy can do from an X's and O's standpoint. This guy can coach football. He's a great offensive mind, scored a ton of points at Louisville, scored a ton of points uh, pretty much every single stop. They scored a ton of points with Arkansas there in the early 2010s. Bobby Petrino is going to score points. Here's what I'm interested in, though. Does Jimbo Fisher meddle? Or does he delegate? Because Jimbo Fisher, obviously, has called plays for a very long time and is, I think, still a really good coordinator. I know people like to think otherwise. Fair enough. I think that Jimbo, maybe there are some things that, that aren't necessarily as, I mean, he's not like a revolutionary. I mean, he's going to run traditional offense. And I look at how many young players played last year. I mean, goodness gracious, they had so many freshmen. So they were kind of hamstrung with some of the things they could or couldn't do offensively. Jimbo Fisher, his play calling, if you will, was a bit of a scapegoat if we're going to be honest, a bit of a scapegoat, but he acknowledged, Hey man, maybe I need an extra set of eyes up here. Maybe I need to go out and hire a guy that's legit and then can focus exclusively on trying to score as many points as humanly possible. That's what he did. He went out and he gets Bobby Petrino, but now will he let Bobby Petrino have full control? Cause that's what I'm wondering about. I think Jimbo's a good offensive mind. I think Bob Petrino's a good offensive mind. I think they're going to have really good personnel. I think Texas A&M's got a chance to be a really surprised team this year. I do. But will Jimbo Fisher completely delegate? That's what I want to find out. And until I know the answer to that question, I'm going to proceed with caution as it relates to the Texas A&M coordinator job. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. 
Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, I've heard a lot over the last couple days, couple weeks about Joe Burrow and whether or not he's a Buckeye or a Tiger. Like Joe Burrow, for whatever reason, I understand, look, he's a phenomenally good player and I understand the tug of war that might exist. But can you honestly, like honestly, can you honestly tell me your favorite moment of Joe Burrow at Ohio State? Just tell me, like what, like what was what was the moment that you liked most? Was it his mop up duty in seventeen? Like what, what was it? Because to me, I I look at Joe Burrow and it's very very obvious to me that he is an LSU Tiger. Now, let's be honest too. He's got to be smart from a PR standpoint. He plays in Cincinnati. There's a lot of Buckeye fans in Cincinnati that are buying Burrow gear. All right. Like he's got to be smart and like play it a little bit. But come on, man. Joe Burrow is an LSU Tiger. It's not close. And if you try to claim him, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. You can be proud of his success. But there is not a college football fan in the world that associates Joe Burrow and Ohio State more than Joe Burrow and LSU. There's not a soul that can do that. So. Go for it, Buckeye fans. I'm all for it. Like, do what you got to do. But man, acknowledge that you're fighting a losing battle when it comes to that one. Coops, I know right. you have some questions about this. I know you do. I do. I do. And I, I'm just curious about on the other side there. Who can claim Jalen Hurts? Alabama or Oklahoma? See, I think this one's a little bit different because I think they both have, they can claim, they can both claim him. Because he started and was a Heisman finalist at Oklahoma. He was at Alabama for three years and started in a national championship game. Two national championship games that he started in. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm all for Jalen Hurts taking the approach of Russell Wilson, who, when he comes on Sunday Night Football, he says a whole pack of Badgers. Why? Because he's NC State and he's Wisconsin. Why? He played at both. He started at both. I think these two schools, Oklahoma and Alabama, they have a legitimate argument to be made that he played and started games for their schools. So the Burrow thing, absolutely, 100%, he is an LSU Tiger. Jalen, I think Bama fans and Oklahoma fans, for that matter, should be comfortable sharing him. We good with that? No, no, you got to pick one. Like, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I'm like, listen, he left Alabama to come here. He took us to the college football playoff. We, we you know, he's ours. He's our guy. You benched him. You benched him in that national championship game. Won a national title out of it. Would you have won that title if Jalen Hurts was in there? I understand your, what you're saying. And I've always kind of, wherever you finish, that's where you went. Like, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see it. But then again, I mean... He did play three years for the program. So it's difficult for me to turn a blind eye to the amount of time the guy played. It's not like he was a backup for three years and then transferred to Oklahoma. 
Like that, that's not, you know, that's not, uh, that Bama wouldn't be able to make a claim if that was the case, but he started 30 games for Alabama. So while I understand very much, and I think Oklahoma fans, I'm sure they'd probably be up in arms. I'm sure Alabama fans would be up in arms. Like I kind of lean towards thinking wherever you finish, that's where you went. I get it. But at the same time, I do think there is at least, at least a, a much stronger argument to be made on behalf of the Bama, Oklahoma dynamic than there is the LSU, Ohio state dynamic as it relates to Burrow. So that's the way I see it. But Hey, I've been called crazy before. I'm sure I'll be called crazy. Again, that'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out, and it really helps the show out. You can email the show. We're going to start getting into some mailbag questions here in the next couple weeks. Hit up the show at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our social media platforms, alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. That'll do it for us here. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.